WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. We've got a huge guest this week. Uh, John Allison joins the show to talk about the last days of his Boom Studio series, Giant Days, which will wrap up after 54 issues with an oversized special in October. Uh, we also talk about his new Dark Horse miniseries, Steeple, in which a grizzled daddy of a priest fights sea monsters in an English coastal town. Uh, his recently wrapped Boom Maxi series, By Night, and the Giant Days All-Star Batman crossover that sadly will never be, but now exists in all our heads and hearts. Uh, meanwhile, what's going on over at WMQComics.com? A ton of stuff. I probably need multiple takes to do this intro. Uh, let's see, where to begin? Uh, I'm going to be at New York Comic Con next month, uh, Friday only, wandering the floor, interviewing creators for the podcast, and uh, hitting up some panels. So if you're there and you want to meet up, let me know. I'd love to say hi. Uh, WMQ also is going to make its grand return to CapeCon this month. Uh, Matt Laswitz and I are going to host a live panel, tentatively, about how libraries can serve as a breeding ground for a comics fandom on September 21st at the Cape May County Library in Cape May Courthouse, uh, New Jersey. Uh, it's going to be my second Cape Con, Matt's first. It's a good local show, so if you're in South Jersey that weekend, please come check us out. Uh, finally, you may have heard at the end of last week's episode, we've gotten some new WMQ patrons in the past couple weeks. So Matt and I have been talking about what new feature we might tackle next to give our backers the most bang for their buck. Uh, contenders so far include a second podcast where Matt and a guest review the DC animated films, a uh, deep dive into the 1990s Starman series by James Robinson and Tony Harris, uh, and a feature called Matt Reed's Manga, where, well, it's obvious, isn't it? Uh, which of those sounds like something you'd be interested in? Vote at patreon.com slash wmqcomics, or drop us a line at wmqgrams at gmail.com. Make your voice heard! Uh, all right, that's enough shameless self-promotion. Let's get into some shameless conversation. Here are me and Matt and John. Uh, so, John, uh, the question we like to la- uh, ask a lot of our guests, uh, you know, uh, when they first come on the show is, is, you know, what are what are some of the comics that you remember reading when you first got into the medium? Um, well, the first comics I read were UK reprints of mm-hmm. like Marvel comics for the most part. Um, Marvel UK was kind of a different entity to the US Marvel. It would reprint. Uh, American books like Spider-Man and the Hulk and things and it generated some of its own material like Captain Britain and things like that so when I was a kid I'd read like the Transformers book which reprinted the American Transformers but then kind of tucked in stories in between those stories because it was weekly and there'd be like 11 pages a week so that was only they need to fill 22 pages a month so you'd get half UK material half American material so that was kind of my long-running intro to comics I read that for ages, and I got into the American Marvels through the UK reprints as well. And, yeah, that, that was my jumping-off point, really. How, how much of a difference was there between the American and the UK uh, Transformers? Well, the UK Transformers just had terrible teeth. Really bad <laughs> teeth. No. Um, it, was, it was slightly more sophisticated, because the people who were working on the UK book were people who'd come from the slightly more sophisticated, and I apologise to America for saying our comics tradition was more sophisticated, but it was a slightly more writerly and artistly tradition. Yeah, the tradition that people like Alan Moore had come from and, and fostered. Mm-hmm. So things were a little bit more gothic, some of the early stories. And then when it started tying up with the American stories, it was Simon Furman who eventually ended up writing all the American books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was he was having to sort of nimbly dodge in between things and use characters that weren't used in the American stories very much because he was working kind of behind the American stories. So th- you'd sometimes see like, 
dialogue balloons that had been kind of whited out and written new text in to make sure that the English stories fit in with the American stories. Um, he had like a balancing act. Yeah, but so yes, yeah, slightly different. But ultimately, it is what Transformers became. I don't want to talk about Transformers for an hour, by the way. I feel <laughs> that's uh, that's a that's a size of juvenilia that I don't want to reveal too much about my knowledge of. You know, I don't want to give too much away about how much of a dork I am. <laughs> well, well, you're in the right crowd for that. So no worries. <laughs> it, it would be two episodes in the past month where we went deep on Transformers, but. Uh... <laughs> Uh, you're, you're here because the week uh, the week that we're recording this, uh, the final regular issue of uh, Giant Days comes out. There's still a special due out in October uh, that will tight jump the girls a year, kind of uh, year and a little bit plus into the future. But uh, you know, how does it how does it feel to be winding down this uh, this series? It's well, it's both sad and a relief. So when you spend a long time with characters and you're writing them every month, you, they're kind of like your friends, you know. As long as you're not sick of writing the book, you're pleased to sit down with them and i like writing those characters so as it started to get towards the end there is a little bit of a wrench to say goodbye and it's the first book or story anything i've done really where i've really said this is going to end and it's going to end properly and i not really i don't want to pick it back up again you know they should for the reader's benefit there should be an end so yeah it's hard but at the same time completing some things it's a real sense of satisfaction so a bit of, bit of both, really, ups and downs. But I think that's how it should be if you've done something and you've done it reasonably well. Yeah, I feel that wrench. I, I've i been reading since issue one, so it's it it's, it's like, oh, I, I'm I'm happy that you're reaching that satisfying ending, but I'm going to miss miss all of them. Well, I mean, for me, you see, like I'm like the uh, the husband who's been having an affair and now just runs <laughs> off with another one because i've got other series to work on you i leave all the readers in the lurch and then i just go off and have fun somewhere else you know you see pictures of me on facebook drinking cocktails with my you know my new my new conquests whereas you know for the reason they're like no we're still at home you know we're just looking out the window with a candle lit you know that's it it's quite difficult really i i see a lot of comments from readers and I'm like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna miss these and i'm like I'm writing a lot of other things. Don't worry, you'll be fine. Of course, it's not the same. It's not the same. I'm having a great time. You may not have a great time. <laughs> we, we did see that picture of you on vacation, parasailing with steeple number one and get a well, tweet of jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I know. It's awful, isn't it? What a terrible man I am. <laughs> uh, I didn't know a comic could hold a pair of sunglasses on its face, but <laughs> there it is. Um, is is your part of of giant days all finished or is there still some work to be done on uh, on the special um the special is still being drawn as we speak so my my role is really just to look at pages uh, when they're done and you know I, I, my i'm i'm quite hands off once the art starts you know i trust whoever's doing it to to do it properly so come the end of july when i finished writing the special that was it i just walked away from the table I wouldn't drop a mic because they're expensive, but you know, it wasn't. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, sp speaking of the artists, obviously, you know, you've worked with with Lisa Tremaine and then Max Aaron. Uh, you know, uh, Giant Day started out as you know a webcomic, something you were writing and drawing. Uh, you know, was was there, you know, in those early days when you were kind of handing off the art part of things, was it a transition, kind of letting go of, of the art reins or? You know, did you see it as, as freeing, you know, freeing? It was freeing. It's I'll be honest with you. It was freeing in a financial sense because I couldn't write 
and draw two books at once. And I wanted to do more than one book. It sounds venal, but initially that was kind of how I felt about it. I was excited to work with Lisa Trayman because she was the person that I wanted to make comics with. She'd done a guest strip for me a few years earlier. And uh, I, when I found out she was available to do a monthly book, I was like, yeah, definitely. Of course, we're going to do this together. This is going to be great. Um, but you know, and it's hard at first, you know, when you've drawn every single panel yourself virtually for your whole, for, I think like 15 years, mm-hmm. it's not easy to see someone else do it. Even if you love what they do, they're still like, I would have done it differently. But one thing I am good at is kind of letting go and saying, no, they can do it their way. If I'm working with somebody, they've already sort of jumped over the hurdle of I'll let them do whatever they want to do. That's great. Um, you know, obviously Esther, Susan, and Daisy have changed over the course of, of 54 issues and some specials. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you feel that you know you've your your style has has grown or changed in that time as a as a writer? Well, it definitely pushes you quite hard because Giant Days. Every issue is meant to be like a, a separate story, even if there's an overarching kind of arc for a series of issues. There's always a done in one story, like a sitcom episode in every single issue and I never anticipated what it would feel like to have to come up with that many individual issues and doing it about college kind of gave me a framework where I could just about with the help of like friends as well like asking them about things that they did come up with 54 things that could happen some that could happen some that might have happened if we were all you know a lot more unhinged than we were so to speak but that's really the main thing. I was just how how deep does the barrel go? How how hard can you scrape the bottom of your personal barrel uh, before you know? And and you keep finding stuff. So it's it's like a marathon, really. Um, a lot of your work has been you know interconnected. Uh, you know, obviously Esther started out uh, as a character in Scary Go Round. Shelley Winters just popped into Giant Days a few issues ago. Um, you know, you meant you mentioned the you know, kind of being done with this series. Do you feel like, is this, is this the first time that you feel like you're truly kind of, or you want to close the door on, the, on a project or a character as opposed to, you know, leaving leaving it open just a crack? I, I mean, there are things in the comic that I could use in other comics, but if it's part of kind of the Giant Days setup, the proper Giant Days setup, not Shelley Winston, obviously that's just like a fun cameo for long-time readers and Charlotte Grote, again, it's a, yeah, it's a little treat for people who know my work that I've kind of dropped in there without expecting the giant days readers who don't know any of the other stuff to know what it is. But I, I really didn't. I, I knew that it was going to be about college and it's, it's a long run, you know, five. I mean, it's, if I count when I started, I think I did the first um, self-published one in 2010 or 2011. It might have been 2010. So that's nine years. That's long enough. And mm-hmm. I feel like I've given it enough of my time. If you're going to keep growing. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, the thing is, I'm now, you know, nearly 10 years older than I was and that much further away from college. So I don't really think I could write a lot more college material because I just feel too far removed from it. Mm-hmm. Um, in reading in reading the book for the the first time, I, I I felt myself drawn to the character of McGraw, the whole you know masculine yet sensitive thing, good with his hands, obsessed with key making. Uh, that part I you know can't identify with, but uh, you know was he intended to be sort of I guess an idealized male figure in the book? Well, he's both. Well, he's more. You don't often see that kind of man mm-hmm. in fiction 
the guy because you know like we're so sort of inured now to the kind of tropes of what a man in fiction is he's either the kind of the uh the kind of ball-chested kind of figure i'm gonna think very carefully about what this is because you i'm gonna have to launch on a theory now that hasn't got any research behind it whatsoever so i'm gonna be sure. thinking very carefully of every single example but no you know it's like you don't often see that sort of character the guy who's more careful about relationships yeah i know loads of guys who just aren't as bullish about things and aren't the kind of stumbling male i mean obviously mcgraw makes mistakes but also he, he kind of takes things slowly he doesn't rush at things and in doing that, he's able to sidestep a lot of the errors that kind of the other characters in the comic make. So, yeah, it was just an attempt to do something a little bit, you know, just represent a different kind of man, really, than the sort of man who doesn't, you know, ultimately, dramatically, that isn't that interesting. It's only interesting, a guy who's quite careful about it, just, if he's with somebody who's kind of diff- more difficult to deal with, who's still working themselves out more, he's quite happy in himself. He was probably happy in himself when he was seven. Whereas Susan's never happy in herself. You know, she's still working herself out. So if you put those together, that's what makes it fun. It's kind of the unit that makes that character work. If it was just a comic about McGraw, I think it would be terrible. I think a book that was just McGraw, Marvel Comics McGraw, <laughs> issue new number one. There he is on the front with a with a wrench. Terrible comic. Really terrible comic. He just wanders around and cleans up after supervillain superhero fight yeah it's like damage control but <laughs> much more that. intricately into just like how he like reconstructs like door frames and stuff it's like re- he's really sanding that thing you know <laughs> he's really he's really got a high shine on that plaster work you know on that balustrade that he's repaired that's the whole issue next month machine man is in the distance and mcgraw you know just clears up some oil Ah. <sighs> uh. Good okay. book, right, guys? You're, you're enjoying this, aren't you? You think this is this could actually sell? I'll tell you what, I'll pitch this. I mean, it's obviously there's some te- some legal issues that we're going to have to get around, but I did once pitch Giant Days versus Bat- All Star Batman because I figured I had a pretty good chance. I was no point going for any of the other Batman. It had to be All Star Batman because I knew a few people who'd worked on the book, and I figured they'll put a good word in for me. You know, the Bat Office will hear about, yeah, yeah, Giant Days and Batman, that could work. I don't think any of my cross-company crossovers with the big two are ever going to come come to fruition, unfortunately. Uh, to, to be fair, they did cross over Lumberjanes with Gotham Academy. So. <laughs> That's why I thought it would yeah. work. And the I, thing mean... with that, I actually I met Jamie S. Rich at a convention. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, yeah, you didn't want that one, did you? And he said, you pitched too high. You went too high, John. You should have gone lower. You went for All Star. You should have got, you should have gone, you know, you should have been. I was like, no, you've got to go for the top. I want to see like an Ollie Moss cover on this. I want to see Tula Lafay <laughs> drawing it. I want, you know, I want the All Stars. I want nothing but all the stars are good enough for my characters, is what I said. And then I was, you know, then I conflated like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo to one person, Scott Capullo, and he just turned away. He turned like the iciest shoulder, <laughs> and I knew it was all over because I just didn't quite know enough about the world of bats. It's the amalgam universe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was spy. It was spy. It was like Spider Boy. I I just got carried away. I'd gone. I get sometimes I get an idea. I don't know if I'd even would have wanted to write that book. Although I had worked it all out in my head, but um, yeah, yeah. Don't they should never let me near near their universes because I do a lot of damage quite quickly. 
as one of the biggest Batman fans you will ever meet, I would have read the hell out of that comic. It was going to be good. It was going to take... Right. Oh, Bruce Wayne comes to Sheffield. He, The industrialist Bruce Wayne, he's involved in like a project to like, you know, repair the city after some floods. Perhaps Alfred has had some business in Sheffield over the years and has links to the area, you know. So, you know, there's a bit of Pennyworth bit of Pennyworth tie-in and then I think if I remember correctly Batman fights another industrialist on the roof of the Crucible Theatre which is where they hold the World Snooker Championships. McGraw's very into Batman's tool belt. Susan is very taken with Bruce Wayne and uh, there's something about him that she just can't put a finger on. It was going to be really good. Obviously Esther was just into the whole gothic aspect of Batman. And Daisy was just bemused by it. That was kind of how it worked. It was a very strong... I think Eisner Awards would have followed. And, and, you know, Harvey's... The Ringos would have swept the Ringos. And I was hoping we would get an Ignatz as well. But in the end, they threw it away. Uh, All I can think of right now is which which of the three girls would be the most likely to do their riff on the I'm the goddamn Batman line from the Frank Miller All-Star Batman. Of course, of course. They were just going to be saying they were the the goddamn anything. They were just going, I'm the the goddamn best at, you know, sweeping up, you know, when I've dropped a glass. That was, I just didn't, you know, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And it's, it's also, it's like, what were those comics that uh, Alan Moore did that never came out? High numbers. It's like mm. high numbers. It's better that it doesn't exist. You can just imagine what it might have been like. Ah, beautiful tabula rasa that now exists in our heads and hearts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. The, the, the idea is perhaps better than the reality. And that's a lot of things that I come up with, the idea is a lot better than the reality. Um, so probably the most awkward transition ever, but also kind of appropriate. Uh, you know, uh, we started this all talking about McGraw and, you know, I was thinking of, of issue 51, the issue where, you know, Susan tries to help him grieve after his father's death, which followed the, you know, equally, uh, you know, high comedy uh, sports manga cricket issue that preceded it. Yeah. Tonal shift. But, yes. You know, to just get people right in the guts. Yeah. Um, you know the, the whole idea of managing that 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 delicate balance of, of packing the emotional punch while maintaining the humor. Uh, you know, did did you find that a, a tougher issue to write? I think because it was more about what that issue issue fifty one was about. What did you do when one of your friends is grieving? It was not about if it had been one of you no know, Daisy or Susan or Esther had lost a parent. I think it would have been a very different sort of comic, and it wouldn't have worked in Giant Days. Because it was a peripheral character, it was more about how a reader would... Because that's that's one of the hardest things to do, especially when you're a young adult. I remember putting my foot in my mouth so badly when somebody lost a grandparent. I don't remember what I said now, but I just remember that our friendship was effectively never the same again. Because it was an unguarded comment, you know, because I was a stupid young man of like 18 or 19. And I just thought, yeah, because if you've not really dealt with death yourself, it's very easy to say the wrong thing. And I thought, well, how would you do it right? It's like a little do-over. A lot of Giant Days is kind of a do-over of things that I did that was stupid when I was young. And uh, I like to show the mistakes alongside, you know, how you might do it right. And with a lot of different characters, you've got a lot of different ways to show different approaches. And so that issue was, was kind of that. 
a kind of, a little do over, but also a chance kind of for any read younger readers who could be able to look at it and go, oh yeah, that's kind of what death is like when it happens to someone near you, and here's what you can do. So shifting to sort of the other end of the spectrum of characters in Giant Days, uh, one of my favorite, and I'm putting favorite in the strongest air quotes you can possibly conceive of, uh, characters is the absolutely despicable Dean Thompson. Yeah, the worst guy. Yes, he is the worst. But he never quite slips into true villainy, like the the head girls or characters like that. He's just this self-satisfied jerk who you just want to slap is he inspired by people you've known or is he sort of a a literary uh, concept who came in to sort of serve as a foil no i did know people who were genuinely one or two people i met at university were genuinely repellent um and they were one of them went on to kind of i can't obviously i don't want to I don't want to slander anybody, mm-hmm. but it was somebody who he was kind of a scion of a of a newspaper editor, like a tabloid newspaper editor in um, in the UK, and very much saw himself in his father's image. And I worked on the university newspaper, and yeah, he just didn't behave like anyone I'd ever met before. He was so I sort of saw that even within the, the kind of microcosm of university, people would start to play out in, you know, these these bizarre sort of social. I how was the best way of putting this? It's very difficult. Again, I, I've never really thought about this before. The people that I was referencing, you know, it just kind of spills out. But, yeah, there's a kind of the villainy wouldn't be the villainy of, you know, of a comic book villain it was just like just being awful and taking advantage and and then obviously it kind of gets filtered through being in a comic book so it gets worse but i just tried to like he has this little plot where he's faking university papers and he's written a little algorithm to do that i didn't think that was really too far out of bounds of the sort of thing somebody would do if they just didn't have a lot of social conscience uh, now much of giant days is fairly realistic and you know what you could almost see but there are times where the series exists in a heightened reality that's probably the the closest term i can come up with um especially when you're thinking about susan's visits home or ed gemmel's trip to australia things are a little bigger than what most of us have experienced was there a line, since so much of many of the other things you've written have more supernatural aspects to them, was there a, partic- a particular line you wouldn't cross for Giant Days when it came to that sort of bigger-than-life stuff? Well, I tr- my rule was, because in the, in the first three, the self-published issues that are in early registration, you can see that I haven't quite worked that line out yet. The first one's very, like, Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was... which I heard a lot after I published it, and I actually was kind of chastened by that because I love Scott Pilgrim, brilliant, you know, amazing comics. But I'd been a little, I'd lent a little too hard on that, so I dialed that back for the second one, where I had that kind of year gap between them, and then the third one came quickly after. And on the third one, I kind of road tested ideas, which were just kind of testing the reality of that world and seeing what worked and what didn't. That one was really a test to see if this was something that I could make fly as a as a bigger project 
Um, and so my rule was really that what could happen once I started the Boom series, anything that things that, that happened would have to be able to happen in real life, or you could heighten them, but people couldn't be flying through the air, and they couldn't be, um, they, you know, you couldn't a ghost couldn't manifest that could actually like touch anybody, you know, a skeleton couldn't come out of a hole in the ground and throttle someone. Um, but I have to say, the special, the as time goes by special, is um, because I love Scott Pilgrim. Um, the as time goes by special, which has the most gentle title of any comic, does have elements of that very first issue in it because I kind of wanted mm. to tip the hat to what had ultimately inspired, to an extent, Giant Days at the beginning and what I'd actually lent away from. I was like, well, I'll I'll put a bit of that back in there just to kind of say thank you to Brian. Yeah, and, and you know we see a little bit the beginning hint of that in sort of the post-credit scene at the end of uh, of fifty four. That's uh, right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And there's a because there's like a a little break between like you, there's like a page dividing that section says like the end and then I kind of open the door on right that's it now I can just do whatever I want because it's all over and and then yeah immediately things start cracking at the edges which I was um, was pretty satisfied with. I thought, yeah, that's about the right way to do it. But I I held off. And obviously you have people going to the night world when characters get sleep deprived. You know, they just start hallucinating. But none of that stuff's real. That's just kind of misinterpretation of reality. Whereas, yeah, the the special has, you know, I I obey all my rules to make sure that I satisfy anything people might have wanted out of the final ever giant days. But I also have all these extra pages and extra... 18 pages and I just misbehaved terribly <laughs> oh, well I look I look forward to your your, your bad behavior uh, next month um, you know uh, in prepping for this episode I actually I ordered the, the first volume of the, uh, the not on the test editions and um, two things I first I love how these collections are bound you know they all had that that kind of like old library book texture mm. feel to the covers mm, exactly um, and, and, and secondly, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kicking myself because I cannot believe I, I, I slept on this series for too long, honestly. Uh, you know, it, it is brilliant. Uh, I don't have a question attached to it. It's just, you know, a moment of appreciation. I'm glad you like those specials. Yeah, those not on the test books are really nice. They're the nicest books that have ever come out with my name on them, I think. They're just really, really handsome. Um, I urge if people are starting with the series, I don't know if there's going to be a fourth one. I, th- I have a feeling that there's a kind of a law of diminishing returns on things like that because people would tend to pick up the big ones and they get into, you know, then they'll immediately go and buy the um, the floppier versions, the regular trades. Mm-hmm. And so I have a feeling there may not be a, a volume four, which is unless, you know, Giant Days becomes a major motion picture or a ride at Universal Studios or something like that, in which case, you know, then they can open the floodgates. But, yeah, those are great-looking books. They're so handsome. Yeah, I'm really proud of them. Well, Universal's expanding, so here's, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been telling you for how long that you need to get on this book, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yes, Matt. Once this... again, I should have listened to you. <laughs> Damn right. No, I, I just need to also throw in my appreciation because I said I picked up Giant Days number one on a whim because I'd been reading a lot of the other stuff coming out from Boombox at that mm. point, and I fell in love by the end of that first issue, and it's been on my best of 
lists year in and year out since that beginning. And oh, thanks, Matt. I love these characters. I'm, I'm so appreciative of all the cool stuff you've done with them. I just feel very lucky that I got to do it for all those issues. You know, I never expected to have to do 54 issues, and I just feel very pleased that Boombox have let me keep making them. You know, I, they, it was six, and then it was 12. And then after it was 12, they said, you can, you know, you can keep going. I was After every six issues, I was like, do you want another six? Because I couldn't believe I was still getting away with it. So uh, before we get into Steeple, you know, I'm, I'm curious, obviously... Giant Days is 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 a comedy. Um, you know, you talked about at Scott Pilgrim, uh, you know, a little bit earlier. But in terms of just sort of humor in general, are there certain, you know, touch points for you, be they in in comics or, or movies or or stand up or anything, like, you know, sitcoms, anything like that? Well, I do love comedy. Um, comics is a tough one because I think American comics. Like, what humor comics were there that I read when I was, like, really reading a lot of comics? Mm-hmm. You know, there was, like, Peter Bag and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. um, Gru, obviously. Gru was a huge comic for me. I loved Gru the Wanderer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I do like stuff like that. But really, it's TV comedy. You know, I like... And it's my tastes... You know, I love, like, stand-up and things like that. But for the most part, it's things like Seinfeld. Seinfeld is the biggest influence structurally on giant days on the writing and trying to tie the threads together each issue especially early on i really wanted each character to have a plot line and it to be resolved at the end of each issue so i like nick seinfeld and curb i like the michael Schur shows Mm. parks and rec and um good place and things like that just because he take what i mean i when i worked out what the um the formula was for those shows i i was green because he just takes a an hour-long show that was very well respected and he just he just boils it down to 22 minutes so parks and rec is the west wing brooklyn 99 is nypd blue it's even filmed like nypd blue on this exact same kind of grain with the camera moving around um the good place is lost and then there was um people of earth which was like the x-files and looks again looks like the x-files so they're all kind of People, that's a good show, wasn't it? It was, although I, I sense there was a problem. Once Wyatt Sennac's character, you know, perished, I did rather think something's a wheel's come off on this show because it was a bit like, oh, now it's going to be like an anthology and it's going to be about the other characters. like when Fox Mulder went out of the X-Files <laughs> and he was only in half a season. wasn't so good, was it? So all the rules still applied to People of Earth that applied to its kind of, um, its kind of progenitor. So, yes. And then, so that, that it's a really good model to look at if you're trying to write a funny comic, because comics are generally serious. But he kind of shows you what you take in and what you, or what you leave in and what you take out to kind of make other models of shows work. And I, I find that really interesting. But I'm a, kind of a student of writing as well as I am of comedy. So I just like, I like taking things apart and seeing how they work. And I like it when I can't see how something works, when I can't, I could never replicate it. I've been watching Joe Perra Talks to You. Have you seen this show? It's an adult swim show, like 10 minutes, this quite grandfatherly man. He's probably only in his early 30s. And he just, it's like Tim and Eric, but they flipped it around and made it everything that in that's unsettling in Tim and Eric, very gentle and reassuring, but without kind of losing that heightened tone. 
and oh it's it's like a miracle when i'm watching it i'm i want to i'm terrible because i have been able to clap the tv at the end of the show and i really like it and there was a period <laughs> where my girlfriend was working at home and she she'd hear me clapping at lunchtime he's like, oh, watching the new twin peaks isn't he because that was the only show that i would actually applaud at the end because i'd be so pleased i couldn't i had no other way of letting it out I, I hadn't seen that before. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to check that out. Oh, yeah, Joe, Joe Perry talks to you. I'm pretty sure you can watch it all on the on the Adult Swim site. And in the UK, it's on the All4, like our Channel 4 website. So you can watch it all for free without, you know, yeah, without, you know, everybody gets a slice. You know, nobody's, nobody's getting chipped on this deal. It's quite nice. But it's a lovely show, but also really interesting. And, and the things that it reflects are a completely different set of values to just about any other TV show that's on at the moment. It's, it's, a, it's a good show for our times. If you're feeling a bit antsy, he, uh, Joe, Joe Perrell set you on a, a good path, I think. It's good to know. Um, you know, I actually, I hadn't thought about the Michael Schur thing about, you know, his shows being, you know, sort of condensed sitcom versions of, of you know, those specific dramas. But, uh, you know, it's funny you bring up Parks and Rec because, you know, I definitely like one of my favorite sitcoms of all time and i feel like one of very few that actually had a satisfying ending oh yeah definitely although now you'd say that i can't remember i can remember what the last last season was a bit strange because wasn't it sort of set in the future yeah, and they had like a, a three-year time jump to 2017 yeah. that's right yeah <laughs> the distant year of 2017 yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the last season. I say was it, and it was a shorter season as well. The last season yeah, wasn't yes. it? Thirteen it was episodes. Thirteen episodes. Yeah. So it doesn't stick in the memory quite as well. But it's one of those things that I watched. You know, as I get older, I'm so bombarded now, and my brain has so little space that I don't remember things with quite the same fine grain. But I did when I was, you know, a, a teenager and in my early twenties. But I always enjoyed Parks and Rec. It was just a nice place to go. It was nice to go to Pawnee, Indiana every week. Absolutely. In fact, oh, yeah. my, my wife was just uh, watching one of the Halloween episodes, like, right before I came down here to record. So, uh, still a hit. But um, let's let's uh, move on, because you've got a, a new series, as we just mentioned, uh, starting in just a couple short weeks. Uh, Steeple, coming out from uh, Dark Horse. Uh, what is what is kind of your, your elevator pitch for this book, for people who may not be aware that it's coming out? <laughs> Well, I had two. Um, one is that it's about a priest in the Church of England and a priest in the Church of Satan who accidentally become best friends. And the other one was that it was like Parks and Rec meets Preacher, which, and both of those are true, and I think they both work. But it's, it's also kind of like a reflection of our times because, you know, who's more principled than a priest? You know they've got to they're kind of got to be kind of puritanical and these days everybody tries to perform their their puritanism and that really fascinates me online i mean not just in the street not everyone's not wearing a hat with a belt buckle on it um <laughs> but people do try and practice puritanism as on social media and i was really interested in why that obviously doesn't work for society generally it's it's a you know, know it's the exact opposite of what works for society and then kind of what the answer to that is in practice so that's kind of what steeple's about fantastic um how lo how long had this idea kind of been percolating with you since last autumn i i live on the same street as a church um it's like if you imagine it's on my street is perhaps 
200 houses and maybe 15 20 houses down from mine is a is a church and the it's quite esoteric the the minister is quite esoteric and one day on the little board outside he had a list of things to pray for and it said pray for brexit and i was like what pray that brexit happens or pray that we all survive brexit and i thought was sure it was the second it was like pray that we're all going to be all right and i was talking to one of my neighbors and she just says to me off and she just goes yeah i think he's lost his faith he's he just yeah he meant it he meant just pray that brexit happens i thought wow wow there's something here priests what's going on in the world of priests so i i, I kind of had half an idea then and it, it took a few months to put it together really and kind of get the elements that would actually make it work as a series and not just a deft idea like my giant days versus batman idea you know like yeah i have to take things from being an irresponsible idea i kind of have to work at them and work at them until they actually become something that like a car it's like before it's like a car with no wheels you could push and push and it won't go no matter how big the engine is but as soon as you put wheels on it you can at least roll it down the road you know and if you can get it to the top of the hill it's going to go fast whatever happens so that's 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 the work for me of making a series um you're writing and drawing again uh you know, are you kind of are you glad to be back? You know, stretching that other half of your of your comics muscles. I am. I mean, I, I didn't want to stop drawing, um, but it got to the point where what I was I was writing by night and I was writing Giant Days. Mm-hmm. I couldn't write a third thing for myself to draw. Um, I loved working with Christine on by night, but at the same time, I should probably just have. I mean, I don't know if I could have drawn it myself, but to keep myself out of mischief, I should probably have drawn it myself. So. With that in mind, because I would often sit there spinning my wheels thinking, I want to draw something. I've got an afternoon free, you know, the time I would normally draw, but I haven't got any good material to write. I tried doing some web comics and it was okay, but you know, this was like third string material because I'd already written to, you know, twice as many pages as I used to write a month mm-hmm. and given them to somebody else. So it was like, right, well, let's find some more material, shall we? Let's, you know, and I just went, I went up the wall. So um it feels great to be back drawing again yeah i love it I, it's it's like therapy for me drawing i only write so that i have something to draw that's why i started uh how far how far along are you in uh in the new series i've finished All right. I've, I've done i've done i finished on friday so i'm now once again casting about something new to draw i've been writing today something new just so i've got something to draw um yeah yeah i'm i've finished i've i've done 110 pages of that i mean i've still drawn a lot this year i drew Mm -hmm. an issue of giant days um in its entirety and then i penciled half of the following issue because max had hurt their wrist so and then i've drawn 100 plus pages of this plus covers so i've not i've not been idle this year Mm -hmm. i've I've still been and i i did some web comics at the start of the year as well so I'm still well in practice. I can't really stop. I don't really want to stop drawing. Well, that that is that is excellent, and I'm sure uh, Dark Horse is very happy that everything's coming on uh, on schedule. Oh, I'm ahead of schedule. I, I'm I'm I, I'm terrible. I, I just want to get things in early. I I don't like deadlines. I like to be well ahead, and um, I like to be like teacher's pet. Like this is in early, and you, you don't have to do anything to it. It gives me a great, much greater sense of satisfaction to have something in early than whatever it looks like. It's they actually getting it in early. That's the achievement for me. I'm like, yeah, that, that's that's my 
stock in trade. That's what I do. I just get things in early. They're terrible, but they're in early. <laughs> That's great. Um, you know, curious because we're obviously we're dealing with religion in uh, in Stiefel. Um, you know, what is kind of your your personal relationship with religion if you have one? Oh, well, Britain's very secular. Um, so if you meet somebody who's religious, it's usually a shock. You know, if somebody tells you they go to church, um, you're like, what, really? And so my relationship is, you know, there's, a, there's an element of religion at school. Like you see, most of us sing hymns at school. You sing hymns in like assembly at school. Um, but then because you kind of, it's like a kid's thing and you kind of, unless you embrace faith in a very serious way, you probably set it aside quite young. Um, but I'm always interested in it. But yeah, you know, like I was as a kid, like I believed in God. I believed in God when I wanted to make sure I did well in an exam. Mm. And <laughs> I, you know, you can, anything that's, you know, the New Testament has a lot of things in it that are pretty decent ways to treat people, you know. There's a reason that Jesus was popular and I think he was, he was kind of a nice guy, you know. He, was, he, had, a, he had a pretty progressive attitude for, for the, the, the time. I, I don't know when he was around, sometime around the turn of, you know, a couple of millennia ago. Um, they, maybe they named one after him, I can't remember. But, <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, that, that is my relationship with faith. I don't hate it. A lot of people are kind of anti-religious or, or consider it suspicious in this country. I don't consider it suspicious. But my faith is not a part of my life on a day-to-day -day basis. I just approach it with respect, like I try in other people, like I try to approach anything else. So with you know, the religious aspect is part of Steeple, but I'm also curious, have you read a lot of Lovecraft? The, the Creatures in the Sea has this very Lovecraftian Old Ones vibe that I... I doesn't necessarily come from the same place as so much of the Church of England versus Church of Satan thing. I'm going to shock you now. I've never read Lovecraft. I before I started going on the internet, I didn't, I didn't have a clue what it was. And people would say like, "What is the thing, C Cthulhu?" And then people would like Cthulhu, and then Fagan, Ph. And I was like, "What is this? This mean something?" It's very confusing to me. Like I sort of know the imagery of it now because it's so wound up in various internet tropes from you know the late 90s onwards but it's mysterious to me like my connection with merman is really more to do with um like monster movies i remember going to see the creature from the black lagoon in old like red green 3d when i was about eight and it made a real impression on me i there's something about it it really captivated me so again it's more a monster of the week kind of feel you know it's more to do with um Who's the guy? Who's that really attractive character in the X Files? Fluke Man. <laughs> it's all to do with the creature from the Black Lagoon and my favourite TV heartthrob, Fluke Man, than it is than it is to do with Lovecraft. Um, I know that sounds terrible though, because people love Lovecraft, and I, and I and I've written all these things that are supposedly supernatural, but I'm I'm such a dilettante. You know, I don't really like scary movies. I'm, you know, I'm not really very superstitious. I just like drawing mad-looking things. And that's kind of where you go to for that kind of thing. Uh, you know, Fluke Man has a, a special place in our heart as the that episode was set 10 minutes from where Dan and I grew up. 
So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yep. Yep. We grew up right near Newark, New Jersey. So Fluke Man, you know, I, I've got a soft spot for Fluke Man. <laughs> oh, he's, a, he's a very lovable character. I mean, that's the thing. I'd love an enamel pin of Fluke Man's face. I'd wear that all the time. He's so cute. Uh, um, maybe, maybe there'll maybe there'll be some at the Thought Bubble this year. But um, yeah. oh, oh, a uh, flute man cosplayer. Do you know what? I just follow him around the whole time. It's like asking, "Why are you so cool?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just I don't the respect that that would confer. I, I just leave my table behind. I probably just flip it over. I was like, now I'm just hanging out with flute man. <laughs> Shut it down. Shut it down. It's flute man time. <laughs> oh man. Um. One one very small thing I appreciated in the uh, in the first issue uh, was the choice of vacuum uh, that is used <laughs> as a weapon uh, the uh, the Dyson the Dyson uh, sphere. Yes. yes, yes, yeah. It's it's a, it's a very small touch, but it's also it's just a very recognizable design. Well, yeah, I don't know why. Well, I mean, destroying a Dyson. I don't want to spoil anything in the first issue, but the Dyson does come to a fairly sticky end. Um, and I just I just wanted to smash something beautiful, you know. I just wanted to... That's the most expensive vacuum cleaner, and it's not better than other vacuum cleaners it's a it's a trick it's again it's it's a little bit of a little bit of showmanship it, it just looks weird it's a it's a design classic but it's it's not a better vacuum cleaner I smash it smash the dyson there's a lot more dyson action in this series by the way i just want you to say that the dyson features i think in every single issue so look forward to that dyson fans he likes bagless suction get on steve <laughs> <laughs> oh perfect we, you mentioned it briefly before, but you recently also finished uh, a twelve-issue miniseries from Boombox by Night mm-hmm. um, about a company town uh, on its last legs, slowly dying, and two local young women who find a magical portal machine that leads into a dimension of magical creatures, mm-hmm. and the way the two intersect. Where did that story concept come from? Desperation. <laughs> I was asked okay. to come up with the series. Seriously, I, I was asked to come up with the series. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come up with another series for you. I had half an idea. I then had to throw away half of that half an idea because it was more than you could fit in a single issue of a comic to make it actually make sense. There was a whole other side of By Night. The reason it's called By Night, it was, origi- it was because it was meant to be a little bit like Elvira where, oh, it, it's re- essentially Jane would put on like a wig, a poker straight wig, and introduced tales from a monster dimension. It it was so convoluted that I had to kind of strip it back to basics. Kind of think, what am I actually interested in? Because I'm not actually interested in Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, uh, at all. You know, it's just something that I remembered. And in a, a frenzy of trying, again, irresponsible ideas. Ideas that cars with no wheels. That was a car with no wheels. And I have to desperately kind of jack up by night and kind of get it on wheels so that it worked. And the company town ended up being the thing that I was most interested in about it. That kind of wound up being the the thing that worked best, and uh, that's so that's why it ended up as this kind of quite murky comic. Um, by night, as opposed, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be misremembering, oh, is this popped into my head as I was putting these together and was not able to dig out my back issues? Uh, by night was set in America. 
It was because I love to make trouble for myself. Again, <laughs> again, <laughs> once again, irresponsible ideas. Where really I should have set it in like the exact. There's a region of the UK that's exactly the same as that, which is the northeast of England, where there was lots of industry, kind of shipbuilding and things like that, and which all and mining that was all destroyed in the 1980s. But instead, I decided no. Because I listened to a lot of American political podcasts, I thought, I, I know how to be America. I, Johnny can be America. South Dakota, that's my favorite part of America. See, I do know a little bit about um, small town South Dakota because one of the companies that I work, Keen Spot, who are still around on the comic scene, that's where I did my yeah. first web comics. Um, at one point, they were based in California, but at one point, they bought a haunted school in. South Cresbard, South Dakota, and moved the entire operation. And I, I think there was some sort of tax break for doing this. You know, they could basically buy the school for a dollar or something like that because it was just abandoned. And this kind of stuck in my head for years and years and years. So when it, I thought, oh, I want an American setting just, just to vary things, really. I thought, yeah, South Dakota. And in the end, I had to learn a lot about South Dakota and go on Street View a lot just to get a feel for what the, what the highways are like and things like Just Street View is such a boon because you can walk around anywhere and actually get a feel for what a town is like without having to spend any money. You know, it's, it's an incredible resource. So, yeah, it, it was based in America and um, it made, made a job for me, really. But it, in the end, I was satisfied that it came out roughly like what it was meant to be like does giant days which is as i said is is as we've said uh, um set in a more grounded space scratch a different itch for you than the sort of urban fantasy supernatural mixed with the mundane thing that by night and steeple are or is it just storytelling is storytelling I think storytelling is storytelling. The supernatural stuff was just a means to an end as like a story engine when I was getting started or when I'd only been doing it for a few years that would give you the opportunity to tell stories easily. You could make something up and your characters would work as hu as human characters in real mundane situations, but then you had the story engine of the supernaturality. Very easy way to tell stories. You could see how it was done on shows like Buffy. And so you could say, oh yeah, okay, this is how this works with giant days because the college life provided the story elements that would make for a compelling story without needing things like that i realized i didn't need any of those things that i could just use the mundane elements and there would be enough there because i'd learned a lot obviously in between setting up that original comics universe and then giant days kind of getting into full swing so, yeah, it does scratch a different itch because you, you've got to do different things and you get into different areas. But the supernatural, again, you can only really write what you know and then you've got to make stuff up. And the further you get away from a certain age and the further away you get from a, a certain place, the less really fine-grained detail you can put in it. And so you kind of need these writing, this writing ballast, if you like, to kind of fill out areas of the story in a compelling way. And with writing a college series, I just didn't need that ballast at all. Um, you, uh, you recently popped a, a new strip on your, the uh, bobbins.horse site for the first time in, in you know, a few months. Mm. Uh, you know, I imagine projects like Steeple, Giant Days by Night, you know, which only 
wrapped a couple months ago, you know, are taking up a lot of your time. Mm. Uh, obviously, webcomics, you know, a big part of, of, you know, how you started out, how you got where you are now. Where do they kind of fit in your whole grand scheme these days? If I, if webcomics were still the force that they were in the way that they were, you know, webcomics on websites, shall we say, sure. then I would still be working largely in webcomics and I would not have abandoned them in the way that I have over the last few years because it's a completely it's a, a vibrant form you know it's think how many creators came out of it and it's only the fact that the internet has fundamentally changed and that so many people's attention has been kind of put in walled gardens like Facebook which don't reward content the way that the old style World Wide Web does True. means that you can't it's almost there are times when putting your best work on the web is throwing your best work away and you can use patreon and things like that to kind of if you've got a, a, a standing audience to mitigate that but at the same time it's kind of the system's a little bit corrupted you know it doesn't work as well as it used to and you're not perhaps going to be able to build your audience you can you're like a, a recording actor who sold 10 million albums so now and you could get by it on 500,000 so you're going to get by on the 500,000 but you're not building your audience you're just kind of managing decline if that makes sense but at the same time I love doing web comics I like that sort of daily communication with your audience I like the conversation I like working a little bit faster and just getting stuff out and the feeling of it being published very quickly so I do want to do more web comics soon it's also a very it's a good way of like indie comics it's hard to publicize them you know you can do some, you can do podcasts which I, I take great pleasure in and you can do a bit of press and you can go on twitter and repeatedly say my book's out it's four dollars you know pre-order using this arcane code that you don't understand <laughs> um but seriously that's it that's what you can do that's mm -hmm. what you can do you've got very little marketing power so you've just basically got to keep saying to the people just buy this just buy this. You don't really understand how it works. If you've got a comic store in your t town, I will pay an extra dollar and a half to get it mailed to you. But a webcomic, if I do webcomics while the books are out, I can say, are you enjoying this? Hey, here's some really good stuff I made. And you can do it in a more ambient way. You can advertise in a more ambient way where people you're not having to just hit people over the head. They kind of get used to the fact this thing exists. And I think that's helpful. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially the whole idea of uh, diamond codes being arcane. <laughs> oh, it, it's like, the, you know, comic books are, one, a single issue is expensive. Yes. Is it like, what's a Marvel book? Is it is it $4 now? Is it three ninety nine for a Marvel book? It's three ninety nine, dollars but they ratchet that up any, any chance they get. Yeah, and well, how many pages do you get? 19, 20 pages? Right. And it could be four pages of just of some action thing happening. You could get four pages of just like Black Widow on the wing of a plane, you know, kind of bringing it in and, and some and it's like, right, well, that's a quarter of the issue gone. It's like, I, I despair at single issues because it, in the end, you can do a lot in a single issue. An issue of Gru, you could have been reading it for half an hour. You had four pages of letters page at the back. You read your bullpen bulletins page, you know, as long as you hadn't read it in another book already. That was another two or three minutes, you know. Then you had your story. It was packed. And as a value offering, I think we forget that the single issue now costs a lot, but it's a worse value offering than it ever was. You don't even have, you don't even have a, like a checklist in the Marvel books of what books are out that month. 
you know, something else to read, another page that you can read that didn't cost editorial very much to generate, and they don't do it. I think it's wild. I think it's it's like it doesn't it doesn't keep your hands on the book. You know, you've paid your four dollars and it's over in what seven minutes, maybe less if it's an issue without with a lot of splash pages. It's like right, well that's over. That's four dollars gone. That's not you know just. To a regular comics buyer, someone who's got a standing order and has been buying books since they were a, a buck twenty-five, they don't even think about it because they're, they're the, the boiled frog, you know. But if you say to somebody, "Oh, do you want to spend four dollars on something you can, you know, kind of get through in in seven minutes and you'll never look at again?" I don't think it's a very good value offering. So that's why I always try to like pack stuff into books. Mm-hmm. I forgot what my original, what the original question was. Now I've got up on my high horse. I'm up on my high horse, waving my stick around. I'm confused. <laughs> no, it's it, it's all good. I do feel like one of those boiled frogs right now, but, uh... <laughs> but we yeah. all are. We all are. Like, I buy single issues when it's a title that I'm really. I bought like the um, the Death's Head, the new Death's Head. Cause I really like Death's Head. Yeah, no, it's very uh, good. Tini Howard's doing a great job. Tini Howard and, and Kazama. It's a great book. And then when they're done, where am I going to put them? I I'm not a long box guy. I don't have a huge amount of space in my house. Where do those books go now? You know, I like Comixology, but at the same time, I want to support my local comic shop because, God, those guys are putting in a service, you know. They support me. If my local comic shop has supported me, I'm damn well going to go down there and buy the books in person. Um, so I really want to support them by buying books, but they cost a fortune, mm-hmm. and they're not a tremendously good value. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm buying floppies for the same reason because, you know, I want to support my shop. But I'm also looking at a pile of books that I haven't filed yet, and I don't know when I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just, they just mount up, don't they? But comic shops aren't just a store, you know. Like, that's sort of what people ignore. They're a community, and you're kind of paying to be part of that community. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's someone behind that counter who's going to talk to you about something that ultimately nobody else in your life is going to want to talk to you about. But they're not just willing to talk to you about it. They like talking to you about it. They're into it. You know, it's like that's something, you know, that's a service you, you're going to pay for and you should be glad to pay for it because when it's gone, you're going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, what are you reading now? What are you what are you reading these days, comics or otherwise? Um, I haven't got a lot of books on the go at the moment that I'm, that I'm getting every month. Um, what the last few things I had, I tried out the... Uh, the ecstatics, the new ecstatics that they did, the, the one shot. Um, I really liked the Miller and Lord Spider Ham with David Lafuente. Mm-hmm. It was a Spider Man annual, I think. Just a just a, a one off. God, that was that was good comics, really good comics. Um, I really like GoBots. I love Tom Scioli, so I'm really looking forward to the new is Fantastic Four kind of reprisal, like the Ed Piscor book. Yeah, um, design. I can't wait for that. I say. Death said, I really liked like the IDW Transformers more than meets the eye and lost light. Those are great books. I, I, I was excited about those every month. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that, that's kind of gone by the wayside and I've not really got on board with the, the new IDW Transformers books. Um, and then I, you know, I, I like like French cuttings. So I'm really into Penelope Bajer. I always rave on about Bajer, but I, I just think that she's a incredible artist who every book is better than the one before and a lot of american readers aren't aware of it are you aware of her she did the california dreaming book through drawn and quarterly which is an incredible cartoonist i I don't believe that i am no i i'm familiar with the book i haven't read it but i've read 
about it, and it's on that list of, this is something I need to read when I get through the three shelves of unread books that I have. Burn those books. They're never going to read them. That's what I do. Just throw it away. Just start afresh. Start your life anew. Don't ever be beholden to the things you haven't read. Don't do that, by the way. That's a real waste of money. And also, you know, that's terrible. That's really bad advice. I'm very sorry. No. I got carried away. I got on the uh, horse again. <laughs> I Believe me, you, it's not the first. That has occurred to me. Someone's like, maybe I just need to give these all. Like, cherry pick the half dozen that I'm really going to read and then give the rest away. Because there is stuff that I on there that's like, I need to read this. I want to read this. It's just other things get in the way that feel more time-sensitive. And it's like, but is time-sensitive, quote-unquote, that much more important than something I'm really going to enjoy reading? Well, that's the tricky thing, isn't it? You know, it's like, do you want to be part of the conversation? Do you want to, you know... Just jump on your House of X and that. Is it what it's called? Is it called House of Ten or is it called House of X? Somebody so it was House put, of X and Powers of Ten. Powers of Ten, that's right. I just want you to know that I'm hip to the world of um, comic books that people are talking about, even if I haven't read them myself. Well, but, how do you do, um, fellow young person? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pleased to meet you. Do you like my backwards baseball hat? Also, I am on a skateboard. <laughs> But um, yeah, yeah, you know, you want to be able to kind of have a conversation. It's like trying to keep up with shows as soon as they're on TV rather than, you know, leaving them on the TiVo until the night when you've got time to watch them. Because, you know, it's like, no, but I want to make sure that I get in on the conversation. And I don't want anyone to spoil it for me. And then you just not, you know, all the th- other things in the in the line kind of get left behind and you end up never watching them. I have all these collections of classic Jack Kirby, the, you know, the the back half of the fourth world and the demon that I really want to read, but not exactly going to be spoiled on that stuff. But I've got to keep up with, you know, what I'm what we're reading from the people we're interviewing and what oh, I yeah. need to write about, you know, for the the site this week. And it's like, but, but I, I really kind of want to get back to Mr. Miracle when I have a few minutes. Yeah, well, I think you, you have to establish a rule. You know, you have to have like one thing that you've got to read, one thing that's kind of nourishing. You know, mm. you go, you roll on, roll off. And I reckon if you use that system, you'll enjoy yourself so much reading the stuff in between that it'll all just fly by. You'll soon get through it. It helps to go on vacation. I just went oh, on vacation sure. last oh. week, and I got super caught up on the plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, just get through, get through your stack. Exactly. <laughs> John, as we're as we're wrapping up, how can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? I, well, I think people should follow me um, because otherwise, what's the point? Why am I putting all this effort in if people aren't going to follow me? You know, it's you know, I can't just do it for myself. I could just be sitting having a good time. You know, I could be out in the garden pulling up weeds, and they can find me on Twitter, where I'm at Bad Machinery. My website is looking a little dilapidated of late, but it's scarygoround.com, and you can find all my other work which is sort of scattered on various websites just for clarity's sake, just to kind of differentiate it out from there. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Bad Machinery as well. Uh, I, I don't think I have any other social media presences left. I've abandoned Facebook. And then, yeah, I took it out in the backyard, shot it, buried it with the dog. All right, then. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, 
the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our patrons, uh, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the M&T, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones podcast, Robert Secundus from Hoxpox Talks, and Scott Madrinsky from Mojoswork.com. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA!